Hey, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 1. But before we get into uh, the message, I want to get to the verse that has kind of started this message. We're in a series called This Hope. Everybody say, This Hope. Not that hope, this hope. This is a different hope than that hope. Amen? That we, we, we are not circumstantial in our hope. We are not hoping that the wind and the waves die down so that we can have hope. We, we have a hope that is anchored beneath the waves and beneath the wind. How many of you know we are really good at wishing for things and hoping for things because we use the word in a very different way? But the biblical writers did not use uh, the word hope in a circumstantial, temporary way. They used it in a way that was anchored to something far greater, deeper, stronger, and permanent. Hebrews 6 says it this way. And so after waiting patiently, and this is kind of a jumble of words. Paul, uh, The writer of Hebrews does this a little bit, and uh, a little bit of a challenge sometimes to read it. I'd encourage you to go back and, and look up, uh, grab a study Bible and look that up. Hebrews 6, verse 15, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. We're going to reference that today for the first time. I'm excited about that. Verse 16, for men swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute, meaning a higher court, a higher name, confirms something. So, so God, there is no other higher name. So he swore by himself because he can't lie. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. He guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope. To seize the hope. That's, that's our message from last week. To seize the hope. There is part of this that is on you to take hold of what he's made available. Amen? That if you aren't careful, you might order an Amazon package, leave it on your doorstep, and someone else will steal it. How many of you know the world tries to steal your hope because you don't grab it? And God has given you a hope that you can grab, take hold of. It's the same thing when Jesus says, take courage to his disciples. He goes, take courage because I'm here. They had an option to whether or not to trust him in the middle of the waves or to say, well, we're going to go ahead and try to sail this thing out ourselves. Take courage. Take hope. Seize hope. Verse 19, we have this hope. As an anchor for our lives, our souls, safe and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. That's the presence of God. So good. Hey, I'm going to talk to you today about this hope. This hope is reserved. This hope is reserved. And I don't mean like the quiet, uh, steps back kind of hope. I mean this hope has a place it resides. This, this hope has a guarantee. This hope has a commitment. This hope has a, a designated space that you hold it. And so I want to talk through that today. So if you are in Colossians chapter 1, I gave you a few minutes or a few seconds to grab that. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read a little bit more of the Bible. Hopefully you're ready, changing translations on you because I like to keep you on your toes. Verse 3 of Colossians 1, New Living Translation says, We always pray for you. That's nice. I love that. We always pray for you. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith. Now, remember, First Peter says that you should always be able to justify or give reason for this hope, for this thing that you have. There should be a reason for it. And the reason he even had to say that is because it should be evident to people. People should see the hope you have and ask you about why you have it. How many of you know that in a world like ours right now, we should have people at least a little bit curious about the hope that we have in the midst of the things we're going through? And so this, this hope, we want people to hear of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. In fact, he says, we have heard, for we have heard of your faith in Jesus, and we've heard of your love for all God's people. Verse 5, which come from, here's some cause and effect for you, which come from your confident hope. 
So we've heard of your faith in Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from, which are sourced from, which are born of, which come out of your confident hope of what God has, everybody say, reserved. Okay, you're a little slow on that one. Of what God has reserved for you in heaven. He has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Last Sunday was uh, my 13th wedding anniversary. And in a month, hey, thank you, a month and a half, I'm, we're going on our first just us vacation of any kind of extended amount of time that's not attached to a church trip or ministry trip uh, in some way uh, in July. I'm really excited about that. I'm not going to mention that in my second service because my five-year-old will be here. But um, actually, I tell my five-year-old all the time, hey, I'm taking your mom on a date because we will be better parents if we do it. And, um, and it's true. Some of you fellas, you need to be taking your wives on a date. The best gift you can give your kids is to love their mom. And, uh, and so, we, so we, we, we tell them that. They get upset and we go, listen, I promise you, this is good for you. Um, and it's good for me, let's be honest. Um, but I lost my train of thought. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just really excited about vacation. And, um, um, and so we, we uh, 13th wedding anniversary. So last Friday night, we went to Del Frisco's Grill. That's like... That's like the same quality, just a little bit better price, right? And uh, so we went to Del Frisco's Grill. If you need the hookup, go to Del Frisco's Grill. It's a little cheaper. It's still a little expensive, but hey, it's our anniversary. And uh, we treat, I treat my, my wife well. We treat each other well. And, um, and I'm not going to get into who should pay for the date again. I'm not going to do that. Um, I kind of want to. Okay, so... Anyways, Friday night, we went out for a date, and uh, we, we hung out, and uh, I, I, but what I had done is the day before, I'd gone on this amazing website. It's incredible. It's called opentable.com. Anybody used that before? It's fantastic. I, um, I was able to put in the time, tell them I'm going to be there, and then from then on, I was good. I don't know if you've ever made reservations. There's something really assuring about it, right? Like there's something about it that just goes, oh, I'm good, right? Whether it be a day before or even like three hours before you rush to find if there's a reservation, you can make the right. And all of a sudden, there's like this pressure that falls off your life. You're like, okay, okay, that's good to go. Like the food's set and the place is set. All right. There's something about having a reservation that makes life. And those places that don't allow you to make reservations, what is that? It's a ploy to make, listen, the world is not working in your favor. I'm telling you, I'm going to talk about this a little bit today, and I can't talk about it to the extent that I would love to talk about it. But the world does not operate in your favor. Everything about your phone, everything about what you watch on television, it is all liturgy. Whether or not you think you're religious, you are. Because we all build structures around what we have decided is our religion. And our religion in our world has become narcissistic. So now our religion is ourselves. So everything is built around us. The problem with it is the very thing we escape to is usually the very thing that causes chaos. I don't know if you know this, but the dings and the vibrations and all the stuff that happen on your phone are meant scientifically to addict you to what you are doing. They are not operating in your favor. Everything on your phone wants you to spend time on it. Every billboard wants you to buy something. Every restaurant wants you to come in for the two-for-one special even though you only need one. 
Buy one, get one 50% off. Yeah, but I only needed one, but the other one's 50% off. They're, they are not operating in your favor, in your long-term benefit. They are working in your temporary, short-term attention span to what matters in your life. And so, gosh, I got passionate about that one. And so we, we, so we make these reservations, right? And we, we get so caught up sometimes, and in, in, in the places that don't make, make, uh, let you make reservations, they just want you to get there as quickly as you can and stay as long as you can to, to hold out as long as you can to be there. They want you to show up just to see if it works. They want you to show up just to hope that maybe I'll get in in time. Anybody know that feeling? Anybody know that feeling of like running into the restaurant hoping that maybe possibly I'll be able to make it in in time to sit down and have a good meal and they won't rush me out? Reservations just seem to take all that pressure off. And see, what, 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 what Colossians actually tells us is this hope is reserved. Everybody say reserved. This hope is reserved. There is a place for it. It is established. In other words, I am presently holding a future hope. When, when we have a reservation, I'm not rushing to get to a place. I'm not. The only thing now is I just got to make sure I get ready in time to leave on time to get to the reservation. And even that day, we were running a little bit behind. We called and we said, we had a reservation. We're going to get there a little later than we planned. They said, okay, we'll see you when you get here. But the pressure of trying to rush to get there, to beat the crowds, to some, and hoping that when I arrive, it's all going to be good. Hoping that when I arrive, everything's going to be taken care of. Hoping that when I arrive, maybe I'll find a spot to sit. How many of you know our world tends to live like that? Rather than living as though we have a reservation and we can patiently take our time to get there, when we get there, when we walk in the door, they're going to have a table ready for us. We're going to sit down. We're going to enjoy this meal together. It's amazing what a reservation does for you. See, so many people think that, oh, well, you, you, you believers, you Christians, you're just, you're just hoping for that, that someday in the sky you'll... Re no, no, no. That hope is actually what allows me to live this day with patience with confidence, with a liberty and a freedom in my life, we should be, as believers, the most patient, less chaotic people on the planet. We have a future reservation that we presently hold confidence in so I can step with a little more strength, with a little more freedom, with a little more liberty. I'm not worried about, well, am I going to get to the end of this thing and have this and make this and is this going to be? I I'm not really sure. One of my favorite writers right now is a guy named Mark Sayers. I think he's brilliant. And, uh, and, 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 and he talks about this a little bit. I want to read this quote to you. He says, because humans are spiritually homeless. We dream of holy places, utopias, motherlands, golden ages, and soulmates. We yearn for reconnection to the divine, readmittance to the sacred and pure space. This quote says, the seed of all of man's questing is to be found in Cain's life in the land of wandering, always searching for a place where his need for security might be satisfied. That's from Jacques Ellul. This wandering, Mark Sayers again, this wandering, this lostness is the essence of humanity's essential weakness, detachment from their true home in God, and with that, the curse of mortality. I know y'all Y'all are like, can you read that again? Because I didn't quite. Let me just read the last line because I think it's the most important. This wondering, this lostness, this desire to, to feel home again. How many of you ever felt one Monday you feel like, man, this is home. Like everything's working, heaven on earth. And then Tuesday all of a sudden it's like, wait, where did home go? 
I'm not comfortable anymore. I'm stressing out. I'm frustrated. And we feel this like tug and pull all the time between what can be and what should be and what we're actually living in. He says, this is the essence of humanity's essential weakness, detachment from their true home in God, and with that, the curse of mortality. In other words, we are fully aware of the fact that we cannot control when and where and how it all goes down. He says, the tension between the utopia we expected and the chaos we experience gives us a profound sense of dislocation. Has anyone ever felt that? Has anyone ever felt the dislocation of life? Has anyone ever felt just that detachment for something? Ephesians 2 verse 11 says this. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumstances, those religious people, even through it affected only, even though it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. Come on, how many of you know that's what religion does? When you do the ritual but forget the story, you, you have become a religious person. The story is what changes your heart. The ritual is what reminds you of what God's already done. Verse 12, in those days, that was good, by the way, you can tweet that. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, everybody say, but now. But now you have been united with Christ. But now, not tomorrow, but now you've been united with him. Your future reservation has now made your present reality different. But now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus. Now Paul is writing to Gentiles, meaning not the chosen Israelites, right? So the Gentiles for so long had watched the Israelites from afar and been, wait, what's going on there? Why are they God's chosen people? Now there were people who were allowed to become part of it. and all, There's all kinds of discussion that that brings up. But in this, he's saying, hey, listen, for a long time, you lived as outsiders. You lived not as citizens of the promise. You didn't have a reservation. You didn't have an anchor. You didn't have a home in this place. But now, Christ, this is why I think the idea of, um, well, I, I don't want to get into all of that, but the predestination thing falls apart when you talk about it as an individualistic thing. He is writing to a group of people and says, you were afar off as people, as a group, as Gentiles, but now you have been brought near. And now you have a reservation where? In Christ Jesus, in the presence of God, your anchor holds within the veil. You have been brought near. You are no longer people without God and without hope. Isn't that written in such a way that you have a, a sense of dislocation? You kind of go, oh wow, like wait, without God and without hope. Meaning, what, what was I anchoring myself to? What am, what am I putting my life in? Mark Sayers, again, I, I, I just, I've, I've referenced him a lot because, uh, well, he's brilliant, and I want to be like him. But we have created as a culture a lot of what he calls non-spaces. For our lack of space, because we have become a culture that is uh, disruptors, we like to tear down what has been established because we believe there is something better, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's something valuable in that. The problem is when we do that without any king, without any redeeming value, without anything to redeem what we have torn down. And so what we have done is we created what he calls non-space, meaning we have created places like coffee shops, uh, even airports would represent a little bit, hotels, while you might feel comfortable, and you might, man, those people are nice to me. 
They are great to me. They are so welcoming. There is a part of that is that is a contractual commercialization of your life. That I've come in and we perform a service for one another. We, we can become friends, but we create these non-spaces. And the primary one now has become our phone. In other words, we can exist and not live. We can become, we can live in a non-space. We can become escapist. That's not the hope that this Bible is talking about. That's not the hope that the gospel is talking about. In fact, I think the church should be better at not escaping. Not trying to get away from all the bad things that might happen. Not trying to run away from the wind and the waves that might crash into our lives. We, we will find, how many of you know this? We used to live walk, looking up and around. Now we walk around with our heads in our phones. I, I drove by a school the other day and all the kids, while they were talking to each other, had headphones in their ears. That doesn't make sense to me. Now, I understand some of this is I'm, maybe I'm just becoming older and I'm supposed to pick on things. But I also think that we look, now I'm not saying that everything, everything has redeemable value. But the idea that we created non-spaces where we escape even in the midst of what we're dealing with. Even in the midst, we will sit in a doctor's office while we should be thinking about how we should change our health. What do we do? We pick up our phone and read the latest article or tweet or Instagram post. And none of, again, none of those things are evil. Don't get me wrong. I'm not being that dude. But I am telling you that so many of us escape life rather than live it. Too many of us are coming up with ways to get away from, someone said at pre-service, to sidestep rather than to lean into what God has put in front of us. We, we uh, try to avoid and escape the tension of life and avoid and escape the difficulties in life, which are the very things that create character, which what we learned a couple weeks ago produces hope. So you wonder why people don't have a lot of hope. It's because they aren't allowed to endure any circumstances. That we have built a culture of escape artists. We have built a culture of people who are rushing to the restaurant hoping that maybe somehow they can perform a magical trick and somehow get that table in the corner that they wanted without making a reservation. And we are working and toiling and we are striving to somehow achieve the goal and we are not reaching it because we've not made any kind of reservation. In fact, in Hebrews 6, which we read just a moment ago, th th there's this one line that I've read every single week, and I'm sure people are kind of like, why are you reading that? I don't understand that line. And it says that Abraham waited patiently and received the promise. Abraham waited patiently. There's a, there's a reason he was able to wait with patience, because he had secured or reserved his hope in something that was future, not present. Now, that does not mean we worry about tomorrow. It means, in fact, we don't worry about tomorrow because far too many of us spend time in the past or in the future and rarely in the present. And so we get really dislocated, and the way we get back to it, and this is only one, and I referenced this last week, so I gave a little bit of this away. We, 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 there's this word, this big word that we don't love as Christians, but it's a great word, and it's this word, Repentance. We don't like this word because what we do is we make it all about our past when really the truth of it is all about our future. It is dealing with our past so that we might fully embrace our future. In fact, the Hebrew writers would have, the word repentance would have alluded to home. And in their mind, home would have been Eden. So in other words, when we repent, what we're trying to do, what we're doing on a daily basis in repentance, in confession, we are returning to things as they should be. We are changing our mind to what it should think. We are establishing ourselves where we should establish ourselves. In other words, we are returning home because that is where we are most secure. And for many of our culture, many people, including many of us in this room, part of our challenge in finding hope is that we haven't found its home. 
We have not made the reservations. We have allowed hope to exist in the fact that maybe somehow we will work ourselves to a place that we get there on time, beat the crowds, make it to the table, that service is going to be great. We hope that we do it. We're wishful. We, we base it upon circumstances. If our car doesn't break down, if we have enough gas when we get in it, if my wife gets ready on time, amen, preach it, preacher. If we are there... But if we can make reservations, yeah, I know, we, we fellas, we, we can make reservations. We remember that God has reserved our hope in heaven, and there is nothing on this earth that would remove that reservation from his presence. And somehow that brings this established patience and joy. I read this as we were closing our worship. Matthew 7 says, therefore everyone, I didn't give this to the guys, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house or his hope on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock, which never moves. Therefore, everyone who hears these words, word and Jesus were never really separated. Anyone who hears these words and trusts them and builds their house upon them. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's teaching these people a bunch of different things. And he's saying, if you'll hear these and you'll allow these things to be something you build your life upon. If, if you'll allow these things to be something you attach your life to. If you'll allow these things to be something you foundationalize, put your world on top of it. Then you can build a house and there will be nothing that will destroy it. Nothing that could remove you from it. Nothing that will destroy what you have built because you have built it upon the rock of Christ Jesus. One commentator says this, this confident hope gives us the encouragement and enablement we need for daily living. It does not put us in a rocking chair where we complacently await the return of Jesus. Instead, it puts us in the marketplace on the battlefield where we keep on going when the burdens are heavy and the battles are hard. Hope is not a sedative. It is a shot of adrenaline, a spiritual blood transfusion. Those who have future reservations act differently in their present reality. Is this hope you have, this reserved hope that you have, this hope that has a home, this hope that cannot move, this hope that, uh, that is set, that it is established, they sent you an email confirmation, it exists. Is this hope changing the way you approach your life because your reservation is what allows you to live this journey with a different level and a different perspective of hope. When I walk that, when I have patience, man, when I understand that nothing in this world, nothing that I walk through can deter me from or steal the hope that God has established for me. I, I believe that believers should make a greater impression on the earth because their hope is anchored in heaven. I believe what brings us to a place where we are actually influencing more and more people is the fact that we have put our hope and our trust in him. We've heard his words, and we've trusted them, and we've begun to build upon them. There seems to be a really clear understanding of the New Testament writers, that, and, and really Old Testament as well, that we did not belong to the present. That we were made for the future, living in our present. That we understand that we are on this journey towards what God has created us to be. And while we see glimpses of what this should look like, we never fully realize it until God returns, till Jesus returns. And we, we are really good at creating places that make us feel like we get away from our problems. We're really good at creating places and spaces. And we're even really good at prescribing particular things that allow us to escape or get away from what we probably need to deal with. 
we, because we've allowed the places and the spaces and the winds and the waves to determine whether or not we will have a confident expectation of our future. When what Jesus is saying and what Paul writes over and over and over again is that our future hope becomes our present reality and we begin to live with a different level of life. So we bring into the world calm. We bring into the world peace. We bring into the world unity. We bring into the, because our unit, man, our status doesn't determine anything about us. So we don't have to win the argument. We don't, we don't have to be on the right side of anything. We, we already know who we are in Christ Jesus. And we can bring into every space a different perspective and a different pace and establish a new decision-making filter and take people out of the escapism that we are so very good at. How many of us live Monday through Friday just to get to the bar Friday night, just to get to that place on Saturday night? If I can just have a drink, if I can just get around, and I think all the friends and hang out, it's all good. But man, if you're living your life five days out of every week, you're living your life just to get away from those five days, what a difficult, challenging, wearisome journey you are on. We are meant to be people who have a future hope. So Monday can matter. Tuesday can matter. Wednesday can matter. Thursday can matter. Friday can matter. I'm not trying to escape any of it. In fact, I'm embracing, embracing all of it because in the tension is perseverance. And in perseverance is character. And in character is hope, a confident expectation of our future. Hope has a reservation. And Paul writes this amazing thing in Colossians. And we read it there at the beginning. He says, I, I've heard of your faith in Jesus. And I've heard of your love for people. And it's all coming out of your hope. It's all coming out of this confident hope. You don't seem to be shifting. Your reservation hasn't been canceled. You don't seem to be moving with every wind and wave. You don't seem to be moving with every new teaching, with every new... You, you just seem to be established. And because of that, you can take your time. Because of that, you can see people better. Because of that, you actually are able to look around and know that not everything is... That, that, that you can look at everything going on and have a present hope establishing a future reality. And you can look at people and love them well because nothing they do determines who you are. You, you can have a faith in Jesus because nothing that happens changes his love for you. There's something, this, the faith and the love that we so desperately want to live with comes out of our confident hope that is found in Jesus. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I, I, I don't put my hope in anything else but Christ and his righteousness. For many of us, we're living without reservations. Even those of us who have given our life to Jesus, even those of us who surrendered all that Jesus might make new life come out of our world, we, 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 we live without reservations on a regular basis. We, we will wake up on a Monday and forget that there's a future hope. And so our present reality gets dictated by how our boss is that day and how work is going and how the marriage is and all that. God wants you to live with a future hope. Future hope of a new heaven, new earth. Future hope of Jesus returning. A future hope of Jesus completing the work he has started in you, which he has promised to do. A future hope that Jesus did everything needed to be done. There is nothing you can add to or take away from what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection. Jesus has done it all, and I dare not trust anything else because fame and money and success are poor anchors. They are contained by themselves. They are not with, uh, without limit. They are limited by their own 
ability to determine your value. They are so, man, is it this much? Is it that? Even money changes. You buy a house five years ago and it's valued now. In five years, it won't be. It's amazing how things change for us. And we trust things that are constantly up and down. And you wonder why you walk around a little bit seasick every once in a while. You wonder why you walk around with a, you, you feel a little bit of motion when you're not even on the ocean, right? You just, you're like, you're just kind of like, and it's meant to be this hope that establishes you in this present place because you have a future reality. Your hope has a reservation. Will you trust it? If you trust his words, build your house upon this rock. No wind, no wave, no storm will destroy what God's building with you. Amen. Why don't you bow your heads? Lord, I pray right now.